Loss is a part of life. All of us will experience it. And loss is always painful. Losing something we formerly had or had hoped for hurts. And is confusing. And loss takes many forms in our lives. Some losses are sudden and massive, have massive impact, like the death of a loved one. Or the loss of a job, maybe, actually can have a huge impact on us suddenly. Some are slow and are just lost as we walk through our life, like our kids growing up, like our youth going and being replaced with old age, like our health failing slowly. And there are a whole wealth of things that can happen in between, a business not working out, or a church position not working out quite like you thought, a set of exams that you hope to do well in that you fail in, a loss, again I've put here of a job which I've already put down. And it's often these ones, these losses, that are a little bit harder to recognise. But all of these things can hurt and cause confusion and form the loss line of our life. And all of these things are really unavoidable. Tim Keller writes this, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, something inevitable will ruin it. That is a part of life. We will always have loss. And as we go through our life, our loss line gets longer. My loss line probably looks a bit like this, just a couple of points on it, you know. My parents splitting up when I was a kid and my dad not being around. My grandparents passing away. You know, as I've gone on, I've had some real job aspirations that they just haven't worked out. And I don't know if they ever will now. You know, they were lost to me. They were real hopes of things that I would do. And some leadership roles I've been involved in as well haven't worked out quite like I had hoped. And as I've made decisions in life, like there have been a lot of close friends at the time who haven't accompanied me on my life journey. And I feel them deeply as a loss, actually. Just some of the loss that I've faced. You know, and each of these, to varying degrees, has caused me some pain under the surface. Some confusion and some sadness. Why did that person leave and not love me enough to stay? Why don't my old friends still make the effort? Why have I never had that opportunity I longed for when I followed you, God? Why didn't it work out well in that position of leadership when I invested so much time and effort? And you, some of these questions remain unresolved, and I'm not sure they will ever have answers to them. And with each of these questions and each of these losses, there's been a bit of an emotional burden that came with it. It's as if the loss and pain make up a kind of mental baggage in my life, which will never to be keep getting added to. As I lose one thing, another bag gets added to me. And it's inevitably going to keep getting added to as I walk on 
Because I know the more I live, the more I'm going to lose. And I would hazard a guess that each of you has similar experience of collecting mental burdens and baggage as you go through life. As C.S. Lewis comments on the frequency of power of this mental baggage when he writes, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also more hard to bear. It's weightier. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden and it's easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. You know, the effect of loss and the baggage of pain and confusion is common to all people. Everybody experiences it. And for many, it's the one thing that derails their life. These burdens make their life unhappy and stressful experience. They cause themselves to be overly protective. Do you know, I watched the new Lego Batman film yesterday. Have you seen it? Now, it's a great explanation at this point. Lego Batman lost his parents when he was a kid, and the whole film is about how, although he is utterly awesome at saving the day, he is utterly lonely, and his greatest fear has become letting people close for fear that he will lose them again or be hurt again. It directs his whole life, and the film is about how he overcomes this fear. To get to a great film, watch it, honestly. I think even if you're you know, in your 70s, you will find this film very funny. It's definitely more for adults than for children. <laughs> I was laughing out loud and my kids were like, what are you you doing, Dad? Do you know, but this is the thing that can cause people to fall into addictive patterns of behaviour and despair. Not being able to cope with these burdens is a real danger in our lives. So if loss and the baggage of pain and confusion in life is going to be a part of our lives and could be so damaging, what do we do with it? How as Christians do we deal with it? Should we uh, just give up? Life is just inevitably going to be some mean game of buckaroo, where the burden and pain and confusion is hung on us until we break, so we should just pack it all in now. God has made life unbearable, bearable, so let's just, let's just lay down. Let's let it wash over us. Or should we... Uh, Man up. Strong people should be able to take the burden, hey? So like the good stiff upper lip Brits that we are, if you're from the UK, I'm going to bear it myself and going to crack on. This is just life. People cope with worse than me without crumbling, so I should just shut up and move on. Maybe the Christian version of this is around having a strong faith. You know, shallow, quick forgiveness, maybe. Just being like, okay, I should forgive, so I'm going to forgive. Be done with it. Or just ignore it. It's the final one. I love that. I wonder how he got his head in that sand. It's probably not real. Should we do anything to distract ourselves? Just take away the pain and confusion, rejection, failure and sadness we feel inside? Drink, drugs, sport, luxuries, relationships, just to stop us feeling the full weight of the baggage in our lives. Is that the answer? You know, each of these is a really common strategy in the world around us. And again, I bet you can see in your own life and the lives of your family, which one you're more likely to do. You know, Chris Butland spoke a few weeks ago, didn't he, on patterns of things we learn from our family. I think how we deal with loss 
is often found in that root. And to be honest, I can probably tell you an occasion where I've used all of these strategies at times to deal with loss. They're all common to me. I've taken the man up, I've taken the give up, and I've buried my head in the sand. Definitely. But the problem with each of these is that none of them actually deal with the baggage. None of them make the weight of the confusion smaller, and none ultimately help us bear the emotional burdens that we're feeling. And because of these problems, with the way that so many deal with the the cost of loss in our lives, is that Scazzaro introduces his fifth biblical tool for emotional health. And that is this, that we must learn to embrace grief and loss in a way modelled in the Bible to become emotionally healthy and discipled. You know, the Bible in general does not turn a blind eye to the issue that life contains a huge loss at all. It is a very real book in that respect. The good, loving God we meet there coexists with a world where people experience a full range of pain and loss. In fact, in the big Bible story, the types of loss we face in life, we can see all of them. We see death in families and friends. We see breakdowns of key relationships. We see lost opportunities. We see kingdoms fall and hopes that go along with those kingdoms shattered. We see the loss of wealth and business. We see huge failures, failures in life. We see the loss of health, health being taken from, the loss of, loss of moral direction. We see the effects of personal mistakes. You know, and Jesus' life was tainted, wasn't it, with death and loss. Lazarus. The likely loss of his father, Joseph, who, if you notice, he appears at the beginning, but then he's not there at the end of his story, is he? And the eventual loss of his own life. And what Schizaro points out so well in his book is that within all of these stories of loss, we find some really helpful pointers for how to deal with loss as a Christian in a healthy way. And let's have a look at those steps. That's what I want to do this morning. Otherwise, it wouldn't be point five. And he says, step one, we find out that we are to grieve and pay attention as part of the grieving process. You know, first and foremost, in response to loss of all kinds, the Bible is clear. Don't be stoic. Don't just man up. Don't just melt into a puddle. And don't just ignore it. In fine. In fact, avoid any of those strategies I described earlier. Instead, openly grieve, mourn and lament loss, no matter how big or small it seems. Let out your sadness. In fact, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 3.4, which is in part a poetic exploration of how in life we are to live well, openly tells us there is a time when it is good to both weep and mourn in life. There are these seasons where weeping and mourning make sense. It's the thing to do. To convey our sorrows and sadness through crying and expressions of distress and confusion within us to what we have lost. Active grief is there in the Bible and we're told it's a good thing at certain seasons. And we see grief expressions modelled right the way through the Bible. I've just mentioned Jesus with Lazarus died. What did he do? He openly weeps at the loss of his friends. Job, who lost so much, tears his garments and cries aloud in anguish at the death of his family members. We see it collectively in Israel as they are carried off into Babylon, weeping and and crying at the failings of their kingdom, don't we? They cried, they wept aloud together. Do you know, interesting, the last example shows that grief can be a collective thing as well. 
you know, I could probably draw a lost line for every church in, uh, in the whole of the UK or the world, actually, that as we walk together as a community, as a family, there will be collective things we lose, buildings we don't get, people we see pass away. You know, even when people who come to join you for a time and go, there's a feeling of loss sometimes, isn't there? As you build relationships, we'll have lost lines. We're going to lose things together. It's going to be part of our story, Freedom Church. And Skizara's book says so healthy, some of those times are going to require that we grieve together in sadness. True expressions of grief are everywhere in the Bible. But Skizaro helpfully observes that in the clearest places we see individual and collective grief expressed in the Bible, which are the Psalms and the songs of David, it's not just an explosion of passionate emotion we see, but something more. Do you know over half of the 150 songs that make up the book of Psalms are laments, expressions of deep sadness about things. And King David, one of the clearest examples of how we are to live in the Bible, wrote the majority of these songs of sadness. In fact, wherever we see a huge painful event in David's life, or a loss he's struggling with, we see that he stops and writes a song of sadness about it. Showing that he broke away from whatever he was doing. It stopped. It stopped the progression of life for that moment in response to the loss he was feeling and took time to think about and understand and fully and clearly express his grief and pain and confusion and loss towards that event. Now, an example of this would be when uh, the king of Israel before him, Saul, who was actually most of his life trying to kill him, and his son, David's best friend Jonathan die in battle. We see in the book of 2 Samuels 1.27, in response to these deaths, we see him actually write this psalm and teach it to the people of Israel for their loss as well. Your glory, O Israel, is slain in your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, no fields of offering. For the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of soil, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in luxury, luxuriously, in, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet. I was doing well, wasn't I, until then? Who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Now, he cries out in this poem his sadness that great men have gone from Israel. That enemies will laugh and see God's nation as weak. That Israel is a little bit poorer for the loss. And that his dear friend and brother is gone and will know his love no more. You know, the the effects of loss are rarely one-dimensional. The loss of a spouse is the loss of them to their friends, to their children. It's the loss of a 
to, of a place of being married, the loss of physical and emotional intimacy and friendship it is the loss of future dreams and expectations. It's a multi-layered loss. The loss of a job through redundancy or retirement is the loss of status, income, hopes, lifestyle, relationships, routine. David's Psalms show the wisdom of stopping and paying attention to all aspects of the loss we face so that we can fully grieve. And I want you to, if you take nothing else from the morning, this morning, take this. That expressive grief is so important. You know, grieving itself does not take away the baggage of loss. But it does have a deep person. Purpose, sorry. It starts to open up the inside of what's in that baggage and take out some of the things that are inside, like an elephant. This is what I carry around all the time. Systematic theology. (laughs) A tie I stole from my stepfather when I was 15. And some clothes. As we express and let out our feelings of loss in the suitcase of things we're carrying, it actually begins to make it lighter to bear. It's a healthy thing to do. And grief done well pays attention to everything that is in that baggage of loss. We don't just look inside and take out the big and obvious things like the elephant, but it pays attention to everything, every aspect, every facet of that loss and lets the weight of that go too. Grief is one of the clear ways God has given us to feel relief from the burden of loss. Not grieving is just ignoring this gift. Scazzaro's first point, and I think most important point here then, is as we look at the Bible, we see that grieving and paying attention as part of that grieving process is the first step to having a healthy response as we face the inevitable losses of our life. Step two. Wait in the confusing in-between. You know, Chris talked about a slightly later moment of the disciples' life, didn't he, that was confusing when he, um, when he's speaking to us about the Holy Spirit coming earlier on. But you know, just before that, the disciples devoted themselves to Jesus for three years of their lives. They gave up everything to follow this man because they trusted that he was the Messiah, the one who would save Israel. They saw him draw great crowds, do great miracles, speak with authority that the world had never seen, confound the powers of his day. They were part of the greatest movement behind the greatest leader of all time, and then he died, horribly, painfully, and unjustly on a cross. He was in the grave, gone. And so were the hopes and dreams of the disciples, a devastating loss. Following this was a period of three days before rumours of his resurrection started. And they began to get answers. Some disciples went to mourn him at the tomb. Some appeared to just go back to their daily lives, like fishing. There was a period of utter sadness and confusion. Why is this happening? And this is always the case following loss from our perspective. We don't understand. And particularly as Christians, we don't understand why a good God allows this to happen to us and others. 
you know, going back to David, his songs of sadness almost all involve and display these times of being confused and not understanding why he's experienced loss and pain. They are riddled with questions like this. Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Oh Lord, will my honour be turned into shame? Oh Lord, will my soul be greatly... Will my, how long will my soul be greatly troubled? Oh Lord, how will you hide, long will you hide your face from me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, these are questions that anybody who has experienced loss will ask. They're common to everyone who lives a life on earth. That there is confusion and not understanding. And this can last a lot longer than three days. And Scazzaro draws out so well in this book that as we look at these examples... We see not only is this a common experience, but that is an essential part to the walking by faith that God asks us to do in him, where he says the righteous will walk by faith. Let me explain this. You know, in the disciples' painful loss, they did not know the future from their perspective. Jesus had not come back at that point. All they had to go on was what they had known about Jesus' character and power and his word. Those two things, character and word. In his character, they had to remember that they had seen him walk on water, calm storms, raise people from the dead. That the times of being presence had been more powerful than they had ever experienced elsewhere. And his word had been that they would see this happen and that he would bring something powerful out of it. Like Luke 9.22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. That was his word on the matter. They had to have faith in who he was and what he said, even though they did not know what tomorrow would bring. Equally, David, time and time again, had to fall back on the character and promises of God as he felt pain. Psalm 25.3, where he reminds himself, as his spirit is downcast, that no one who waits for God shall ever be put to shame. Now, Scazzaro's second point is that when we face loss and pain and grieving, we must learn to wait in the confusing in-between with God, acknowledging our confusion before him at one side, as we look at things through our limited eyes, but coming back to his word and his character and what we know on him, and waiting in those things, those truths about him just like David did, just like the disciples had to. You know, I, um, I was listening to the radio yesterday, and, uh, and the guy um, who was speaking on the radio, he, uh, he gave a story about a lady who was all dressed up in the nines, walking through the city centre city center London, like marching along, doing, going about her daily business, looking like she was going with purpose. And the sun was shining on this day, and she just stopped. He noticed as he's sitting in his cafe, he noticed her stop and look up. And she just looked up and this, caught the warmth of the sun. And this lady out of nowhere just stopped. And she stopped and she basked in the sunshine for a moment. And he saw her busy face just with stern looks just melt away a little bit and turn into a smile. And she waited. And she must have waited looking like a Wally for around about three minutes, apparently, in this road. Just smiling with her arms out, enjoying the sun. Then she stopped and with a different pace she walked on. This is what waiting in the confusing in between is. This is what it is. We've got all of the things that weigh on our shoulders, 
all of that confusion which is there, all of the unknowns that we don't know from our perspective, yet we come and we bask in the word of God and the character of who God is in his presence like we have done and begun to this morning. And we get to lift, walk with a burden slightly lightened because of who he is. Skizari's second point as we look at the word is that we must learn to wait in the confusing in between. Finally, I don't know if you can see that because of the banners there, but that says, the, allow the old to birth the new. Do you know, if there's one wonderful truth that shines truly bright above all others in the Bible, it is that God, God always uses pains, trials and loss of this world and brings something good out of them. Schizaro helpfully writes, God transforms evil into good. It's what he does without ever diminishing the awfulness of the evil. That's the gospel right there, isn't it? That God sent his only beloved son to earth. He was subject to the worst evil that man could devise. Shame, torture, public abuse and a horrific death on a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried in the confusion of his pain and separation in silence from his father. Yet God transformed this moment into the single point of history where every human can come to know the forgiveness and mercy of God. As C.S. Lewis puts it in his Narnia books, at this moment God was working a deeper magic, a purpose unknown to those who sought to harm him. Dying an innocent death on our behalf so we could have peace with God. He was working something good into the evil of man. John Milton describes God's hands and pain and loss like the working of a compost heap where the decaying rubbish and muck and filth and all the stink of life goes in but then a little clean dirt gets chucked on it and something remarkable happens. It breaks down and becomes the most fertile soil for growth. The Bible describes this deeper working of God in all things like this. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will comfort and bring us out of our pain, even if it's the pain of death. Even in our own death, he will bring new life. Now, Skazari helpfully lists just some of the fruits that he has seen God grow within loss and grief in his book. Through loss, we learn greater capacity to wait on God and surrender to his will. We become less covetous and idolatrous. We get to see the true worth of things in life as they are. We become liberated from having to impress others. We become characterized in a new way by humility and brokenness that allows God to move. We have greater appreciation of all of the abundant gifts in life. We have fewer fears as we realize life is short. We sense the reality of heaven even more. Do you know, but one, one fruit you mentioned jumps out above all others for me. That God uses to develop, one of, uses pain and suffering and difficulty like this and loss to develop one of his most powerful tools in his people. And that's his compassion in us for certain issues. Have you ever noticed how many charitable works are started or invested in because people themselves have experienced the same type of loss, the loss of a child, certain illness, loss of parents, inability to find certain care. The greatest compassion for the lost 
comes from those who remember what it is like not having God in their life. And this is because of this. As we truly grieve and pay attention to our grieving, as we truly acknowledge the extent of our confusion before a, lot, before a good God, as our, our bag of understanding here, the loss remains. The loss never goes away. The mark that that loss gave us never goes away. But because it has been properly emptied, turned from a heavy burden, what has it become? It has become a tool, a space for carrying other burdens in people. A space that understands. That you can say, yeah, I understand, I can stand with you. A safe place to help others carry similar burdens. To share and walk alongside and love with Jesus' love. I understand, yeah, I can stand with you, I know what to say. I feel the Father's heart for you in this. To bring a true understanding and God's light into situations where others are finding it unbearable and to help them grieve well. Do you know, Kathy bought a picture a while ago which stuck with me that after a bushfire, there is a certain type of tree that can only grow when that fire has gone out and spread. It's had its devastation, but then this tree can grow. Compassion, godly compassion is a tree just like that. God uses it to bring something remarkable where we can truly bless this world with his love. This is essentially Scazzaro's third and final point. that We must allow the old and the lost to birth a new thing that God wants to bring out of it, the new life that he wants to bring. Allow God to do the deeper magic in you, to throw clean dirt on you, that he wants to following loss and grief, to turn it into something beautiful and powerful. Principle, you can't read that at all, can you? Principle five, embrace grief and loss. Loss is a part of life. All of us will experience it without exception. And loss is always painful. Losing something we formerly had or had hoped for hurts and is confusing. But God works deeply in loss as we allow ourselves to grieve with him, be confused in him, and invite him to bring the new life he wants to bring out of the evil and pain we have suffered.